What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, and it is with a heavy heart that I come to you because the football season is officially over. We get through Super Bowl 57. The Kansas City Chiefs are your champions in a thrilling game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But Dwayne, uh, we got to pour one out for the 2022-23 NFL season. Um, your your just your overall thoughts though on on the season and on the Super Bowl in particular. I thought it was a great season. Um, you know, the Super Bowl, we can start there. We talked about it last week. We had really you know, two great teams. Like we couldn't really complain about who ended up there. The game ended up living up to its reputation. You know, the over hit, even though it was really high, the game was still close at the end, even though the Chiefs did cover. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Super Bowl was just kind of a, you know, you know, it was just kind of a, in a nutshell, like what the season was all about. I thought it was quality for the most part. Look, there there's going to be ebb and flow, right, of how many good teams we have in the league at a time. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that were not good last year. But now we get to be on the journey of everyone can ha- can be, you know, hope springs eternal. Like, can my team make itself better? Can Jerry Jones ever win another Super Bowl before he's gone? You know, Marcus, I don't know. I don't know. Jerry's got to be running out of time here. Um, but every every fan has that chance now. Like, what's your team going to do in free agency? Then what's your team going to do in the draft? Hopefully your team has draft picks. Hopefully your team you know, has some crazy <laughs> dollars. And if they don't, hopefully they were already really good last year. So basically, hopefully, you know, everybody should be happy except for Rams fans. But everybody else, like, there should be some sort of hope. You're right. No, everybody is, you know, as of today, everybody is zero and zero again. There's there's a chance for everybody to make the playoffs. It's exciting. Um, you know, everybody's still, I think, looking up at the Kansas City Chiefs because they are very, very good. But uh, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a great back and forth. Um, I think both teams played incredibly well. Uh, you know, I know if there if there were any questions, and we'll talk about Jalen Hurts, if there were any questions about him, I think those have all been answered and put to bed at this point. But at the end... And this seems like a great place to start. Uh, Patrick Mahomes stands tall. He, he drives his team down, leads them to the game-winning field goal. He takes home Super Bowl 57 MVP honors. And, Dwayne, it's been a hell of a start to his career. Six seasons in, he has won two MVP awards. Uh, he has two Super Bowl MVP awards. He has two Super Bowl titles uh, under his belt. We just saw Tom Brady officially hang them up after nearly a quarter century in the NFL. It feels as though now the stage completely belongs to Patrick Mahomes, and we're talking about the number one quarterback, arguably the number one player in the league right now. Yeah, and it's so interesting because just a few years ago, you probably thought, man, there will never be another Tom Brady. And now here we are. Mahomes has already been to three Super Bowls, has already won two. You know, it's his sixth year in the league. He's only played five of them. His yeah. first year was a redshirt season, if you guys remember. You know, yeah. Alex Smith was still the starter at the end of the season. You got to see a little glimpse of Mahomes. But if there's going to be a quarterback that's going to catch Brady, it's got to be Mahomes. Now, he's going to need to stay healthy. That's the thing with Brady, right? He was really good, but he also stayed um, really good for a long time. But I think if you look at peak Mahomes right now versus peak Brady, Marcus, and I know this is going to be, like, blasphemous to some people, but like, I would take Mahomes. like. He can do more off script, right? He can create those big plays in the scramble drill. Um, he can just do the basketball kind of things that, you know, just are total improv that no other quarterback can do like him. Josh Allen can do some of those things, but Mahomes just is on a different level when it comes to those things. He's got one of the strongest arms in the NFL. 
He has complete control of his playbook. He has the accuracy. Um, and now he's shown this new gear that he understands how to beat defenses really in any way needed. You know, he's traditionally leaned on the deep ball. You know, he's, he's had a lot of his touchdowns come on 20-plus yard passes. Well, now without Tyreek Hill, like he, can, he completely, you know, flips the script, and we still see him throw a ton of touchdown passes. So I think he's shown everything that we would hope to see. And, like, where he's at right now, like just – versus the best moment ever in Brady's career, I think that Mahomes is better just because he can do things Brady couldn't. And that's no knock on Brady. Brady is still right now the greatest of all time. Mahomes has got a long way to go to be able to catch him. So, I mean, look at it this way. Um, We're six years in. So if he goes, you know, basically to three Super Bowls every six years of his career, and if he can win two every time, he'll have a chance. But, like, that's the kind of pace he has to stay on. Brady's been to 10 and won seven. Like, it's not easy to do. Right. I mean, that's why I was sort of laughing. You're like, yeah, if he can go to three every six years and win two of them. Yeah, I don't feel like you know, then he can be up there with Tom Brady. And and you're right. What 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 made Brady so great was the obviously the individual greatness from season to season. But the fact that he sustained it over such an yeah. extended period of time, it's one thing for somebody to play 15 years in the NFL. Uh, let alone to continue to play at a high level for Brady to play 23 seasons at an incredibly high level. Uh, As you mentioned, sort of avoid major injury had the one year uh, when he tore his ACL, which side note is the one time I ever drafted Tom Brady in a fantasy league was the year he, uh, he tore his ACL. Me too. Week one against the chiefs, Bernard Pollard. I don't forget. Yes. Yes. Uh, his ACL. And uh, that's like the only time I think I ever drafted Tom Brady in, uh, in fantasy football. But, you know, for Mahomes, so far has, has been able to avoid any major injury. He had that, that knee issue a couple of years ago where he missed a couple of games, but has never had any serious injury that has kept him out any length of time. And I'll say this, Dwayne. I mean, let's go back to the beginning of Brady's career. He was not the big-time passer that he turned into later on in, in his NFL career. But early on, he, he kind of had a little bit of the game manager tag hung on him. I mean, I remember... That first Super Bowl they won when, you know, it was tied. The the Patriots had the ball deep in their own yeah. end. And I vividly remember John Madden saying, hey, maybe you take a knee here. You just run out the clock and you play for overtime. And Brady leads them down the field to get the game-winning kick. So he sort of morphed into that guy. Mahomes has sort of come out of the gate as that gunslinging, big-time yardage, big-touchdown guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the league's also different, too. Right. So, I mean, Brady, if we look at a lot of his huge years, it's come as the league has also evolved. But the plan was never for Brady to be playing that first year. That was supposed to be Drew Bledsoe. Right. And then it ended up being, oh, we've got to go to this, you know, guy that we took late in the draft. And the the, you know, the storybook was written since then. Like, it's obviously been a fairy tale kind of kind of situation for Brady. But to your point, like Mahomes is just, you know, complete gunslinger from the get-go like everything in the offense is based around him it's not like well we got to run to protect him or do this or do that it's like no he can handle it all you know now we're going to scheme it up and do different things based on our personnel but our offense is going to flow through the passing attack and and that's the beauty of the marriage between him and Andy Reid because that's what Reid's really always wanted to be Reid did that with McNabb back in the day you know with the Eagles as well like Reid has always been seen as a guy that was more forward thinking as a passer he went through a little spot in the middle of his career where he had to pull back on the reins but probably due to the quarterback situation that he had going on Alex Smith was solid but not someone where you're just going to build the whole game plan around him but with Mahomes from day one to your point has been all about him and letting him completely control the game 
Well, six years in, it's been an amazing ride to watch him. And as a fan, I uh, just want to see how far this goes and see how, how much success and, and what kind of numbers he can put up because it's been phenomenal so far. And, uh, you know, every accolade that he has gotten so far, he has absolutely earned. And I'm, I'm expecting there's going to be more coming down the road for him. On the flip side, the Eagles certainly have nothing to hang their heads about. I know they're certainly disappointed with the loss, but Jalen Hurts, Dwayne, had himself a day. And I, I love the fact that after the game, Mahomes himself came out and said, hey, look, if there were any doubters, there shouldn't be any more based on what he did. 304 passing yards, had the three rushing touchdowns, also threw for a touchdown in that game. You and I talked uh, before last week that, uh, you know, there is a payday coming for him, and you suggested he should be paid as a top five quarterback. I don't know about you. I didn't see anything out of him in the Super Bowl that would deter me from believing he should be paid as a top five guy, if you did or not. No, no. I think he absolutely deserves to be um, in the new age of the NFL. He is the prototype that people are looking for. As people are sitting here getting ready to draft in this upcoming draft, like, this is what people are trying to figure out is how do you find a quarterback like that in the second round? You know, how do you, how do we do what the Eagles did? And it took some risk. You know, Jalen Hurts was not a polished passer when he came into the NFL and his first season, you know, when Carson Wentz left and not when he left, but when Carson Wentz towards the end of the season, they let Hurts finally get four or five starts. You know, it wasn't necessarily pretty Marcus. Like, I mean, his completion percentage was really bad. It was in the low fifties. And then he took a big step the next season. He got up into like the low 60s. Then he took another step this last season. So he and Josh Allen, though, are both examples of guys that came out with really raw skills and made huge leaps in the area of completion percentage and accuracy. That's not something that we've traditionally seen going back in history. A lot of times it's really been like, hey, you're accurate or you're not. But now to see these two guys with these high, high end athletic traits, and they're very similar. Like they're both, they're, they're both built like tanks, right? They can both run. They don't just run past you because they're fast. Like they can run over linebackers. He's unstoppable. This quarterback sneak stuff is insane. You, you can't stop the Eagles once it's third and one or fourth or one. Like it's, it's 95% chance they're getting a first down on you. You know how huge that is? Yeah. That is such a huge advantage for a team. So to see what they have going there with him and, and to see these two guys like him and Josh Allen really blossom, I think it's going to cause teams to take even more risk. I think we've already started to see it from Josh Allen. Trey Lance 10 years ago would have not been a first round draft pick for the 49ers. Now that's not worked out so far, but more due to injury. Um, but I think 10 years ago, Trey Lance is a second, third round, you know, developmental prospect, right? That probably never sees the field because the coach is worried he's going to lose his job. And so I think that we are seeing the NFL evolve. We're seeing this push coaches, right? And we're seeing more young coaches too. So I think the combination of those two things, younger coaches that are willing to change, willing to adapt and willing to learn from the college game, use what they're getting from that level, but then their ability to also to continue to work with those players and build them up along with the skill sets that we're seeing now because more colleges have these type of um, you know guys playing quarterback, it's just it's creating an evolution in the league. And so I do think we'll see more people taking bigger chances at quarterback. I think this also says a lot about how bad last year's class was, that no one was willing to take one in the first round, yeah. even though we've seen how much Jalen Hurts has improved and Josh Allen. 
Well, and yeah, I think to the, that point, and I know we'll we'll get to draft prospects a little bit down the road, but when you look at this year's draft class, I mean, a guy that jumps out at me in that vein is sort of Anthony Richardson, oh, big uh, time. quarterback out of, out of Florida, who has incredible athletic gifts and is incredibly talented, but is also a little bit raw when it comes to playing the quarterback position. But you're already hearing the drumbeats for what he could t- potentially be. Perfect and example. I think could take a chance. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Uh, 53% completion percentage for Anthony Richardson. He was ranked in the bottom 15% of all college passers with at least 200 dropbacks and his accuracy. But then you have the big but. <laughs> He's 6'4", <Right. laughs> 235. He runs a 4-4. He can make every throw in the book. He keeps his eyes down the field when he's throwing the ball, so he's not just looking to scramble. He still wants to be a pass-first quarterback, but he can kill you with his legs, too. So, yeah, I think he's a great example, and I am just, right now, he has such a wide range yeah. uh, in, in mock drafts, right? Some people have him going, like, round pick 10, but then you also see everybody really gives him a second round grade. So where is he going to land? Like, is he going to be somebody when people really dig in? Is he more like Malik Willis or is he more like a Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen? I have a hard time believing that he's going to make it to the beginning of the second round because of all the things that we just talked about. Because the, all the things you talked about and the number of quarterback needy teams who might be willing to take that big swing to see if they can hit a home run with it. Uh, obviously, the Eagles landed something with Jalen Hurts and they seem to be set up for the foreseeable future. but they do have some changes that they're going to have to deal with. They are losing both their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, and their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. Steichen has been hired as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Gannon is now the new head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. I guess first things first, let's talk about what this means for the Eagles. How much does this potentially disrupt what they have going in Philadelphia? Well, I don't think it will too much. Obviously, anytime you lose both coordinators, both coordinators at the same time, there's going to be some change. And so they're going to have to figure out how they're going to replace these two guys. But Nick Sirianni, you know, is it's really his offense that he brought to the table. Right. And then he and Steichen had worked together in the past. So I think the offensive side, there's probably going to be a smoother transition on the defensive side. It will be interesting to see what direction do they go? Do they go? Do they go with an external candidate? Do they go with someone internal to try to keep things going? They also have 19 of 20 free agents are unrestricted. So the Eagles, they've got a lot of decisions. James Bradbury, a guy that they kind of picked up last year and were aggressive with some of the moves that they made, um, CJ Gardner, Johnson, those guys are both free agents on the defensive side of the ball. You got Fletcher Cox, Cox getting older. So I think there's a lot of questions there. I'm not as worried about the offensive side. Jalen Hurts is going to be locked in. Devonta Smith is locked in. AJ Brown is locked in. Dallas Goddard locked in. We'll see what happens with the offensive line. They've got some guys that are getting a little bit older there. Um, but I think the offense will be okay. I think the defense, though, definitely some questions. I think, you know, I know that a lot of folks are sort of wondering about Gannon now that you know, maybe he was exposed a little bit by what happened in the second half of that game. The, the Chiefs going to a lot of motion. They had a couple of really easy touchdowns in that second half as they came back to, to win. And I know for, you know, seeing some of the chatter out of Arizona that there, there's some questions that people are wondering, was, was this the right move, especially with Luan Aramo? Uh, being there potentially as a, a head coaching hire, but I think the body of work for Gannon is such that you know he definitely deserves a shot. So I'm curious to see sort of how that works. Spinning this forward though, and I feel like this is a good time to let all you know out there. If you haven't already, you can go to fantasylife.com, uh, check out our fantasy fixers series. We also are releasing videos on YouTube, so you can go uh, check it out there over at YouTube uh, at MB Fantasy Life. 
But we've already done fantasy fixers for both the Colts and the Cardinals, so this sort of works out very nicely. Uh, start with Steichen in Indianapolis. Is it as simple as saying they just need a quarterback? Is, is it really that, that basic for, for Indianapolis to get things going? Well, that'll be the major determining factor to see if he's going to be successful or not. Like, if he doesn't have a quarterback long-term, he's obviously not going to be able to get much done. But he came out today and basically said, look, we're going to pass first to score points, and then we're going to run the ball to win. You know, so that's basically the Eagles' formula. But you like to hear it because there are several things that the Eagles did, like just as far as like, um, you know, kind of stacking these smaller edges analytically that can – equal, you know, one plus one can be more than two whenever you just can really keep a defense on their heels all the time. But if you look at the Eagles, they ranked eighth in play action percentage. Um, you know, a target to a, to a player on play action is worth approximately 20% more than a non-play action pass. So that's an edge you want to use as much as you can. Um, if you look at the tempo that the Eagles operated with, they were eighth, right, in neutral, or sorry, sixth in neutral play clock remaining whenever they snapped the ball with 10.4 seconds. So they can also keep your defense on the field. They can get you tired. Neutral first down pass rate, seventh in the league. So they understand the concepts of, okay, when is when is it you know best in your favor to be passing to be running to really keep the defense you know just off balance and so they're doing a lot of things that uh you know really stack up and to stay true to what he said nobody ran the ball inside the five more than they did 82 percent of the time now a lot of that comes back to what we talked about earlier that's jalen hurts because scrambles end up counting into that design run plays to jalen hurts which also include all the quarterback sneaks once you get inside the two yard line with the Eagles, you're pretty much doing that. So some of those things will change a little bit, but I really like if he can keep that identity and find a way to apply it to the Colts. You know, Anthony Richardson's a really interesting name for him. You know, mm -hmm. if it's something where he does fall to the top of the second round, like I could see the Colts totally being in on Anthony Richardson. Having to take him at four, you know, I don't know if they'd be willing to do that or maybe they trade down, but finding a prospect that's kind of like that. But to your point, they do have to find their quarterback. If they don't have a quarterback, all those things we're talking about with Steichen, he might be able to pull off a Brian Dable, you know, one year, kind of be like, oh, wow, how do you do that with that roster? But <laughs> to really push the envelope and to have a chance to go to Super Bowls and all those things, you're going to have to have something at quarterback, to your point. That has been maybe the biggest issue for the Colts over the last five seasons. Frank Reich there for five seasons, had a start, a different starting quarterback each season. He was there. Uh, finally, Matt Ryan sort of, you know, not, it wasn't totally Matt Ryan's fault, but certainly didn't help the situation that sort of led to Reich's downfall. So I think the first issue is maybe just some stability at the position. Just get a guy you feel like you can roll with for multiple years in a row and let him sort of grow into that spot. Maybe Richardson's that guy. We're going to find out, certainly, uh, in the next few weeks. Now for Gannon, going over to Arizona, when we talked, you know, fixing the Cardinals, one of the big things was, in fact, maybe the first <laughs> thing on the list was finding somebody who could reboot Kyler Murray. Jonathan Gannon at least doesn't seem like that guy. So how important is it going to be for him to hire an offensive coordinator that can turn Kyler Murray around? Yeah, it's going to be huge because I think that's the other positive that we can talk about with Steichen is he definitely was part of the development of Jalen Hurts. So whatever direction you go with your young quarterback, you at least feel that past history, you know, points to the fact that Steichen can help improve, right? Whoever that player is. 
you don't have that with Jonathan Gannon. And really, to your point, like the number one thing has to be maximizing Kyler Murray. He's signed to a huge deal. He's a dual threat guy. We've seen the flashes of brilliance that he can bring to a football team. But he just, for whatever reason, whether it's the focus, you know, all these narratives that are out there, Call of Duty, who knows? It's probably a little <laughs> bit of this, a little bit of that. But I didn't necessarily love the hire. Um, the other thing here is... You have a defense with the Eagles that was pretty stacked. You have a defense that got to play with a lead all the time, got to get more creative with their blitzes, all those sort of things. And those things kind of always scare me a little bit, Marcus. Like, can this guy translate that into additional wins for the Cardinals on the defensive side of the ball? Because we know offense is really what wins. And then once you look at the Cardinals' defense, you're like, okay, like, they've kind of made really weird picks. They've spent picks. You know, to give them credit, they've spent picks on defense in the first round, but it's like, hey, we're going to draft Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker. We're going to play him at nickel corner. You're like, what? Like, <laughs> you're what? You're doing what? Like, it doesn't make sense. And then Xavier Collins, you know, there was another high pick off ball linebacker. You got JJ Watt retiring. They don't have pressure defenders and they don't have any corners. Now, now Byron Murphy Jr., he manages somehow to shut down like Cooper Cup, but like no one else. Um, so maybe there's a little something there, but this is, this is a defense that has a long way to go. And so you better really believe that Jonathan Gannon can do a lot with his scheme because you're really adding someone to, I think the cupboard is pretty bare on the defensive side of the ball. So how much of an impact can he even truly make? And, and none of this is against Gannon. There's multiple ways to be a great head coach in the NFL. Um, you know, some, some of it comes down to scheme. Some of it comes down to the X's and O's, but also there is something to being a good leader. There is something to getting your team playing for you. We've seen that with day bowl. We've seen that with Mike Vrabel. A lot of people really mm -hmm. bust on Mike Vrabel for a lot of the things that he may get wrong analytically or certain play calls, but his team's always fighting at the end, right? And they play their brand of football and other teams don't necessarily like facing off with them. So I think there's, you know, maybe an element there that they like with Gannon, but I think that's something that it's hard to say whether a coach is going to have that or not. Like they really have to prove it. So I don't want to just, you know, dump all over the Jonathan Gannon hire. I would have rather seen, you know, an offensive mind brought in here. But to your point, if they can get the right offensive coordinator, that will certainly go a long way. Of course, if you get a coordinator that turns Kyler Murray around next year, your problem is you're going to have to hire another one the next year because he's going to then get hired. So that's the challenge with not locking someone up as the head coach on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you finally get things going. We know it's the most important part, and then they can be gone. I, I think, and obviously not knowing everything that's going on in the Cardinals front office, it, it just feels like those one of those moves where, and we see it a lot, right? You have an offensive-minded head coach. It doesn't work out. You let him go. Then you bring in a defensive guy, and that's sort of kind of what this feels like they just wanted to sort of reboot this and go completely the other way even if on its face it doesn't seem like the move so uh, whatever Gannon does in terms of bringing in assistance is going to be critical because as you mentioned Kyler is where this team is is, is who it's built around and so you if know, they can't get him going it's, it's going to be weird what I wonder is like what do these interviews look like what do these panels look like because let's be honest most of these owners don't know Jack really about football <laughs> Right. You know, they don't know about the analytical side of the ball. They don't really know about the talent side of the ball. Now they're close to it. Some are probably, obviously there's a, there's a curve here, right? Um, some are probably more to the right, some more to the left, but at the end, these guys are mostly just running businesses and they got a lot of other businesses. They usually have their hands in. There's a lot of things that, you know, they have going on on a day-to-day -day basis. And wh what do these panels look like? Like, how do you put together the right 
um, group of people to make sure that you're getting, you know, really the best candidates in the door. I mean, that's something like I would, I've never really heard about, to be right. honest. Now, maybe there've been really good articles and things written on it and I just haven't seen them. Um, so open to any of our lis listeners passing that along, you know, to me and Marcus, cause I would love to see, but I just look at something like, uh, you know, Jim Ursay, like, man, like, you can't, like, come on, like, and Bidwell is, you know, same bucket, you know, it's like, come on, like, uh, hopefully there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But, I, you know, if they're just both making these decisions, ultimately, it, you know, they're making the main call, obviously the GM and other people have to be, you know, on board, but just something that kind of popped in my head. Like, I, I don't know what that looks like. No, you, I think you're right. And I would imagine an interview with Jim Ursay probably looks vastly different than an interview with Jerry Jones. So <laughs> uh, I would be curious to kind of see how these things work. Any, if anybody wants to get us a behind the scenes of how a head coaching interview works, I would love to read about it or hear about it or anything like that. But uh, anyway, like I mentioned, you can go check out fantasylife.com. We've got our fantasy fixer series is going through all 32 teams. Obviously for some teams, there are fewer things that need to be fixed than for others, but uh, we'll get through all of those. And we're going to have accompanying videos with them out on YouTube. Part of fixing a team is being able to win when it comes to free agency. We are just about a month from the free agent market officially opening. I know there's the uh, the negotiating window, I guess what, what was previously called the legal tampering period, but I don't think the league likes the word tampering, so it, they, they sort of switched it up a little bit. But anyway, uh, let's talk some tight ends because there are going to be a few out there. I know, it, you know when you say tight ends in fantasy football, people sort of sigh deeply and roll their eyes a little bit because it is such a thin position, but there are some interesting names that are going to hit the market. You've broken them down into three tiers. Tier one, you've got those guys you're calling your mid-range tight end one profiles. A couple of names that jumped out, Dalton Schultz uh, and Evan Ingram. Uh, you know, Schultz, a, a guy who really sort of came into his own later in the season. Ingram had arguably the best season of his career on a prove-it deal in Jacksonville. I would think that these guys, they're not going to break the bank, but these guys can be key contributors wherever they land. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, you can go check this out, like you mentioned, Marcus, over on FantasyLife.com. And the first thing that I put in the article is really the data thresholds for high-end tight end ones. So that's tight end one to three. Then the mid-range, which we're talking about now, guys that finish in that four to six range, and then seven to 12. And so what that means is looking at the points per game scored, minimum of eight games played, what are the thresholds around data that we see is pretty sticky that's owned by the player. And then by sticky, we mean year over year, right? There can be correlation between the data. And so there are really a few key things that we're looking at. So it's your route participation. Can you get on the field? You know, your targets per route run, your target share, your PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. And of course your fantasy points, like the easiest way to correlate to the next season, like fantasy points is to correlate to fantasy points. So, <laughs> Those are the things you can see, and, and I've got the ranges you know, broken down. And so that's kind of the process behind this, is seeing where these guys that are available, where do they fall in these buckets? And some of the guys we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, like don't even hit any of the buckets we talked about. They fall a little bit below, but maybe they hit on one or two things. And right, there's a chance that if they land in the right spot, perhaps you could squeeze a little bit more out of them. But you did, you mentioned, you know, Dalton Schultz and Evan Ingram. Those are the clear top two guys. They don't make it into the very top bucket, but it's very hard, right? The top bucket is Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. Um, Dallas Goddard has underlying data points that match that. I know you guys don't want to hear this, but Kyle Pitts has a lot of underlying data <laughs> points that tell us he can still be that, that type of tight end. 
Dalton Schultz, Evan Ingram don't have that. Schultz finishes a little bit below that group because he's not a huge yards after catch guy. He can't also really stretch out the seams of your defense. But what he can do is he can be great on third and fourth down. He can be great if you need seven, eight, nine yards. He's not going to get a lot after the catch, but you have to give him credit. Like he has improved his targets per route run every single season. Um, his target shares have gone up each season as well. And it's just something where he has a knack. He understands the way the zone concepts work. You put him in there against a linebacker or safety, he's become a guy that Dak has just trusted more and more and more. And the number one thing you have to do, whether you're a receiver or a tight end, you have to be able to earn targets. And we've seen Dalton Schultz prove that he can do that. So if he landed in a really bad offense, Marcus, like it, it would be a hit to him because you want him to land because he's not going to do a lot on his own. Like he can still catch a lot of balls, but you want him to be on a team where can he get the targets down inside the five? Can he get more targets inside the 10? So you would love for him to land on an offense that's really more high scoring in nature with a good quarterback. And that's really what would give him, you know, a stronger ceiling. So Schultz is a guy that I really do like. He checks most of the boxes that you would want to see in that, in that middle tier. Now, Evan Ingram is really interesting because Evan Ingram was kind of Kyle Pitts before Kyle Pitts. He broke onto the scene with a nice, a really nice rookie year, a good sophomore campaign as well, but injuries, you know, started to set in. And this is a guy that's really a size speed mismatch, also similar to Pitts. But what we've never seen with Ingram that's really interesting to me, Marcus, is He's never turned into someone that can truly stretch out the seams. He's never turned into a guy that can really, you know, demand this high, you know, average dot or average depth of target. Um, it's been okay. But what we have seen is like, you can get him the ball underneath. He can run away from DB. Sometimes he can run away from linebackers. And we saw that with Jacksonville this last year. That's really how they used him a lot. If you saw a lot of his, you know, plays where he's running wide open, it's like on a drag. You know, and you're just like, wow, like the linebacker just like saw him and then misgaged everything. And like Evan Ingram's just running by and this like, boom, Trevor Lawrence is hitting him. So he's definitely got a superior athletic profile to Dalton Schultz. But does he really understand the nature of the game and how to all the nuance involved with beating all the different kind of zone coverages that you face a lot? You know, and, and I mean, 70 percent of the time you're facing zone coverage in the NFL. And if you're playing on the inside with linebackers and safeties, there's just a lot that goes into that. So he's not quite as strong as Schultz in his ability to earn targets, but was really closest last year. 19% targets per route run was 10th for in for tight ends. His target share was 18%. That was sixth. Um, his yards per route run was ninth out of all tight ends. So he's really right there in that mix, but I would love to see him land somewhere that really kind of tries to unleash that other element of his game, which would be getting him a little bit more vol involved in the vertical passing. Hmm. I'm wondering, you know, obviously he did well in Jacksonville. Would it be in his interest to stay or, you know, look, I know this is all hypothetical, right? Everybody's yeah. excited about what Calvin Ridley potentially can do. Does that eat into any opportunities he might get if he were to stay with the Jaguars? Yeah, I think Calvin Ridley returning is just going to be really interesting for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, even more spread out. I think there's an argument you can make that Ridley will be the best receiver. Now, will he be rusty, right? He's been away from football for a long time now. And so what's that going to look like? We don't know for sure, but when the, the last time we saw Calvin Ridley, 
He was a high-end target earner. He's got former first-round draft capital, came from a big program, Alabama, played really good early in his career. Maybe didn't completely smash after the night. His first year was really electric. He scored all the touchdowns, had more big plays, mm -hmm. slowed down a little bit in his second year, but was still had improvement in different areas. So I think it's a really good question. I think there's probably too many mouths to feed. I think ultimately it's going to be better for Evan Ingram, you know, as, as much as we like what he did. In Jacksonville, I think it's going to be better for him fantasy wise to move on. Now, again, like you mentioned, like we don't really know where he's going to land. Like if all of a sudden, you know, he lands in Cleveland as, you know, in a rotation with David and Joku on a run first team, we're not going to like that. Then we'll be like, oh man, I wish he was still in Jacksonville. But if he could land somewhere where he can be the number two, right? Have a chance to be the number two in a less crowded room, I would, I would personally prefer that for him. Yeah, I, I think that would be – look, who knows? If if Indianapolis could maybe figure out their, their quarterback situation, maybe he goes and pairs up with a guy like Michael Pittman and, and forms a nice one-two punch there in Indy. Who knows? Um, as to your point, too, about Calvin Ridley, last time he played an NFL game was week six of 2021, so it has been quite some time. I mean, if he's able to get on the field and play next year, uh, it will be nearly two calendar years. Uh, since he has played an NFL game. So it has definitely been a good long while for him. Your tier two tight ends, uh, the guys you have as borderline tight end one profiles. The first name here, Mike Gesicki, is one that I've sort of used maybe a little bit unfairly as shorthand for that that tight end. You just sort of maybe panic draft or you you pick him <laughs> in the kind of the later rounds. And as soon as you do it, you're not happy with it. And, you know, like he has one or two good games. And for the most part, he sort of is who you thought he was. A completely athletic guy, has a lot of talent, love his profile. The the production has not consistently matched it. Um, I feel like, you know, is, is this just who he is or is there maybe something else that can help him unlock uh, some other potential? Yeah, so the positives with Gusecki is he will work down the field. Like he can be that vertical uh, seam stretcher, not quite the run after the catch guy that you see with an Evan Ingram, but Things went bad for him this last year because the Dolphins, well, one, when you're competing for targets with Tyreek Hill and with Jalen Waddell in an offense that's trying to, you know, typically run a lot of two wide receiver sets and they like to have a tight end that can block on the field in said sets, well, that was like the worst recipe, you know, possible. You're having to really compete for targets, you know, with two of the best players in the league. And you're in a situation where you're not the preferred option on many of the plays because you can't, he's not a great run blocker or a pass blocker. So that meant that he was then on the field in three wide receiver sets. Well, then he's rotating with, you know, Sherfield and with Cedric Wilson when he was healthy. So he just wasn't able to be on the field enough. He was not the right fit for this offense. It's something that, you know, I remember being concerned about heading into the season, and I really avoided Gusecki because of it and the type of tight ends that we've seen succeed in that Shanahan-style offense is typically someone that can do both things, or it forces a rotation, which is what we saw. What we saw. So with him, we just really want to see him land somewhere that's going to be a pass-first offense that's not as concerned about their tight end blocking. So landing spot's going to go a long way for Gusecki. But if he lands in an offense like that, Marcus, I'll, I'll be looking at him. Like if he lands somewhere that likes to run a lot of three wide receivers, um, likes to let their tight end work out of the slot, you know, is a pass first type of offense, especially if they have a good quarterback. That's really what you want to see with Gusecki. We've never seen him, you know, get to that 80, 85% route participation 
but his other underlying metrics are good enough that if he got that, he would probably, he would have mid range tight end one upside. And in a year where you get lucky and everything clicks right for him, because he can really do a lot down in the end zone as well. That's where he's always been good. He garners a lot of looks in the end zone, as far as a percentage of his team's targets each season. So, you know, you could get big plays down the seam. And if they're passing more, you get more of those. And then if he becomes kind of one of the main guys, you know, on a high scoring offense, once you get down inside the 10 yard line, like there's an equation where all of a sudden he finishes as, as the tight end three, right? If he scores 10 touchdowns, we've already seen him put up, you know, 750 yard seasons, which is good for a tight end. Again, there's only one Kelsey. There's only one Kittle, you know, there's, there's not, it's not like these guys grow on trees, but I think he could still end up being in that next tier down from those players in the right spot. Yeah. It, it was definitely a red flag to me at the start of the season when he, he made a comment, something to the effect of now with Mike McDaniel here, I'm sort of learning to play tight end. I'm learning to play the learning position. To because, yeah. <laughs> right. Cause really he had sort of just been a big slot receiver the, the few years previous to that. And so he was sort of having to learn. And that kind of was the, that was an eye opener. Like, Hmm, maybe this is a guy to stay away from also because as you sort of got to Mike Gasicki, no shade here is not George Kittle. He's not going to be a guy that you can count on as a run blocker when you need him to. Um, he is just kind of a pass catcher and that's not exactly what McDaniel was going for with his tight end. Other guy in this category, Austin Hooper, who, statistically fantasy wise is still chasing that big season he had in Atlanta in 2019. He hasn't really been in great situations since then that allow him to prosper. He was sort of splitting time in Cleveland. Then he went to Tennessee. It just wasn't really built for him there. Um, sort of like Gasicki. I mean, is, is this just who he is or, or can he flourish in a better opportunity? Well, this is why I love approaching, you know, these players from the standpoint of thresholds. And because what it does is it, it, I didn't expect Austin Hooper to be in my top five when I started the activity. Austin Hooper, his data told me he belonged in the top five. And you nailed it. What happened to him? He went to Cleveland. They signed him to a big deal. Stefanski came in. They turned it into a rotation with Njoku. So in Atlanta, he had broken out, but he was the tight end one in Atlanta. And so once he got to Cleveland, he never got a chance to approach that 70, 80% route participation when having to split things with David and Joku and even having, you know, uh, Harrison Bryant, you know, I believe I got that one, right. There's two tight ends yeah. that always get me that are very <laughs> yeah. close, but anyway, uh, there were three tight ends at one time, right. Where they were all rotating. So the underlying data though, really tells us like targets per route run. He was 14th in the NFL this past year. So, and that's why I really love targets per route run, especially for tight ends because of all these different things they do with them. But when he's on the field, 18% of the time he's getting targeted. So that's borderline tight end worthy, tight end one worthy. Um, his target share is, it's kind of tough. Like, okay, great. He had 14%. Well, when you're rotating on and off the field all the time, it's hard to really grade that against you. Now you want a tight end that's good enough just to get on the field all the time. But look, Kyle Pitts was getting sat down last year. Coaches <laughs> do this stuff, especially if they have a run heavy scheme. And that's what we were dealing with in Cleveland. And that's what we were also dealing with in Tennessee. So he's landed specifically in two area and on two teams that have been problematic. I would love to see Austin Hooper again, similar to what we just talked about with Gasecki land somewhere that's really more, at least pass balanced Pat, you know, favors the pass more, right. And is not so worried about the run blocking for the tight end. And if that were to happen, I do think Austin Hooper could be a very sneaky low end tight end one. Again, you catch some touchdowns as a tight end. We'll see. You let the, you let the cards fall where they may, right? And you're looking at a guy and we get it every year. 
a rando tight end or two that pop mm -hmm. up. You're like, whoa, like Robert Tanyan. You know, you get these guys that are like that. Like Austin Hooper's better than Robert Tanyan. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's better than a lot of these other guys that we were really looking on the uh, looking at on the list. He just needs to land somewhere that he's not in a rotation. Now, will that happen? I don't know, because people may now just think he's a rotational tight end, right? The best days they make for Austin Hooper may be considered behind him by the people that are going to be signing the checks. And we know that's what matters. Yeah, he will. He will be 29 midway through the season next year. And I would argue that the two seasons he had that sort of broke him out in fantasy he was kind of the rando tight end at least that first year in atlanta when he broke out i don't know that we expected him to kind of put up those numbers and i look back and look his top season 787 yards six touchdowns 75 catches that's pretty good for a fantasy tight end but it did kind of come i think unexpectedly in a lot of respects there uh tier three guys with upside tight end two profile foster moreau is the guy on the list here and more than anything, I think Foster Moreau just needs to get out of the shadow of Darren Waller. Just get him somewhere where he has an opportunity to maybe get some more some more snaps and some more targets. Yeah, Moreau's an interesting one because he doesn't do as much from a targets per route run, which is we really care about whenever you're a player playing behind someone like Darren Waller. But he got a lot of snaps this year as the starter. It was never able to truly shine in that way. And we had seen him in the past, the year before, there were a couple of games where you're like flashes. You're like, well, maybe Moreau could be a 20, 22% target share guy if he landed on the right team. So I think that's still in question. However, what blows me away with Moreau is what he can do after the catch. Like he is from a yards after the catch standpoint, he is one of the better. He averages 8.9 yards per target for his career. That's really heady for a tight end. So he has some of the other things you're looking for. And if all of a sudden you could really find a way to get him to click from a standpoint of earning targets. And I will say this folks, like target earning on the outside as a wide receiver, it's honestly pretty much a, you have it or you don't right now. There's so much that can be built in. Like pretty much any receiver can come in and get a 10 to 15% target share, but to go beyond that, right? Cause your team can scheme some things for you, do some little things that help you out. You're the second read on a certain progression. You know, you can end up 12, 15% of the targets, but to be 20, 22, get into the 25% target share range is really tough. At tight end, to make it into that high, high end echelon, it's still really hard, but you will see these guys because again, they're playing against linebackers. They're playing against safeties. They're dealing with a lot of zone. A lot of this just comes down to, to route combinations and you happen to be the, bing, the guy on the bingo card. And so at tight end, it is a little easier to kind of take a step forward as far as the ability to demand targets. And we saw it with Dalton Schultz, a guy that looked like he had kind of flatlined. He took another step last year. So what I like about Moreau, though, is if for some reason that if that next step could happen, right, he's got the ability to do the things after the catch that we like. Not, I'm not, not going to put him on the range with Kittle and Kelsey, but pretty close with what he does yards after the catch and things like that. Now, it is a smaller sample that we're dealing with with him. But I think the the raw traits are there with a Foster Moreau. And if you could take that next step and all of a sudden, if he did earn 20% of the targets on a team, like he has more upside than anybody we've talked about, in my opinion, as far as if everything suddenly clicked for him. You can make the argument for Evan Ingram. They're the two most athletic guys in the class. Well, we did see Moreau at times, you know, sort of flash when Waller wasn't there, just as you mentioned, the consistency wasn't there and the fact that he wasn't getting a ton of looks uh, in those opportunities. But if he lands somewhere else, then it's it's worth reevaluating and, and seeing what's going on with, with Foster Moreau. 
You want more about tight ends uh, or you want to read about some of the other positions, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and get some free agent analysis there, you can go check it out over at fantasylife.com. So, Super Bowl's over. Uh, where is your attention now? Are you are you full into free agency mode, draft mode? Where's your head at right now? Finishing up free agency so uh, folks will be able to get the wide receiver uh, free agency information as well. So we'll have the tiers up for that. You and I'll talk about that later this week. And then, yes, it is turning my attention towards the draft, which is always interesting, Marcus, because there's so much data to pull. Uh, it's like I think about it and I get excited, but I think about it and I also think, oh, God. I've got to go pull all of this data. And like with college, <laughs> it's just a little different. NFL data has gotten so much better in the last mm -hmm. 10 years as far as what you can pull, where you can get it from. College, there's still a little bit of some manual things here and there that you're just kind of like, oh, man, that's really going to suck. But once it's done, the, you know, the takes that you get from it or the, where the data leads you is great. And we'll have all that. And we'll be ready to share it here in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, college data is a little bit weird because you have so many different schools and everybody sort of handles things differently. And, uh, you know, no no two schools handle things the same, which makes it a little bit weird. But uh, we'll dive into all that and plenty more. Uh, the offseason is here. I use offseason in air quotes because there's always still plenty <laughs> of things to do and plenty of things to talk about. But for now, we'll leave it right there. Of course, we'll be back a little bit later on in the week. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. Hope you enjoyed this show. We certainly enjoy having you hang out and listen for a little while. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. Enjoy the week, and we'll talk to you again real soon.